0: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am,
1: Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true, that if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.
2: This is an extra program, like a special program, because the New Year's bushfires have dramatized for most Australians what catastrophe really looks like. But has the media connected us with what can be done? The 24-hour coverage has shown the pain and anger as people were terrified and evacuated as they saved each other and in the most heroic ways. And as rather late in the day, the military was brought in and we saw extraordinary scenes evacuating people from Malacuta by Navy vessels. But this is personal for me as members of my family were lucky to escape, but in one case lost their house. I've seen the photos. My son and daughter-in-law's house was saved by a kind neighbour who came in and put out spot fires. Mm. It must have been horrifying out there, yet he did it. And there are countless stories of people unified and cooperating and surviving together. Yet the minute the media commentariat was back at work on Monday, the blaming began. Even one of the headline newspaper uh, Papers had the blame game starts, and it makes me furious. Mostly, the Murdoch media blamed greenies. The question of hazard reduction was widely discussed, but not the fact that national parks' budgets have been savagely cut back. I read in the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday, 36 fire reduction offices in New South Wales were reduced to 10. And I've heard overseas media blaming us for sabotaging international efforts at Madrid, to reduce carbon emissions. We're playing a spoiler role internationally and I hope the world, of, the world is looking at us and going to shame us into much braver uh, climate policies. But the most blameless of all in this blame game are the top coal, oil and gas companies that continue to make profits as their products dry out this continent. We will live through more catastrophic fire days this year And Indonesians will suffer worse flooding until the causes of global heating are stopped. And that's not my opinion. That is a really very well-researched pathway that we're on. I don't mean let's lower our emissions a little bit and get on with economic growth. I mean stop exporting emissions, and then we need to draw down. So that's why the show I produce is called Beyond Zero Emissions, and that's a think tank in Melbourne, Let's go beyond zero emissions. So our first guest is Elise Papineau in Brisbane. She's with Extinction Rebellion, and they are planning to disrupt Parliament. She's a PhD candidate in anthropology. Welcome, Elise. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very delighted to speak to you because I think this is a little bit left field. Anthropology, how can that explain the way we are so angry and upset each time we have a catastrophe and these catastrophic bushfires are getting a lot of people angry and very upset, yet we blame greenies and we don't blame the corporations who are continuing to make profits exporting gas and coal. How come?
3: Well, I believe this is part of a cult of ignorance and fear that um, most people are still are still under. Um, we have a lot of toxic behaviors that we need to unlearn. Um, a lot of people seem to create obstacles in their own participation um, in this struggle. A lot of people think that maybe they have too much to lose to get involved or that it's easier to kind of reside under this ignorance is bliss model. So we see a lot of people um, continuing business as usual, which is something that at XR we really try to, to dismantle it and move beyond.
2: Yeah, but from anthropological point of view, you look at other societies, when they're up against it, like the Blitz of London, you know, people are being threatened like that. Don't they usually toss out the governments that are in their way? Well, we would, we would hope
3: so. Um, we, this is something that we are actively trying to do, is we are calling for system change. Um, but, of course, we have a lot of obstacles with already trying to get the, the main public on our side. Um, so mobilizing the public is extremely difficult when we are being scapegoated, as you said, by the media, uh, by people in positions of power, as as we've been called serial pests, as ferals, as extremists, as radicals. Um, so getting even just the public opinion and getting mobilization from the general public is quite difficult at this stage. And hopefully, with you know the silver lining of these catastrophes with the fires could be to galvanize the momentum from the public, especially those who have been more tangibly affected. Yeah. So if there's any kind of positive outcome that could come from, you know, the devastation and the ongoing catastrophes that will result from this, is that potentially people will start moving from this side of neutrality and, and perhaps ignorance and denial to one of of, um, of fury and uh, by being fueled by that anger um, and discontentment towards the government to actually join the side and, and take it to the streets.
2: Mm. Well, I, I have a quote from someone um, on the internet who is who was affected by the fires, and she said this. Mm-hmm. She said, "These, in brackets, mostly white men who maintain power deserve to feel our anger. They deserve to feel disrupted and disturbed. For too long, we have maintained complacency, and this is where we have arrived." Um, what do you think about that the sort of the, the people who have power does that need to change the composition of the people in power needs to be different people?
3: Yeah, I think they, there's a fine line between when we look at individuals and systems, so it's one thing to um, to, to blame and shame Scott Morrison, of course he has a, a big role to play in this, but as well he is also part of a larger system that we are actively trying to to mitigate. And um, so there's a lot of uh, issues with the systems that are in place, and it's not just the result of, of um, the government, but uh, overlapping systems of oppression and intersectional um, kind of nuances of, of power and privilege, so that, that doesn't exclude uh, colonialism, racism, sexism, speciesism, mm-hmm. capitalism, all these other things that come into play, and of course having some uh, white men in power who are ignoring not only uh, perhaps the discontentment of the people but are also um, extremely poor allies to traditional owners of the land who also have a lot of knowledge to provide but are being ignored um, as well in in the context of of this emergency. Uh, So, of course, we do need to hold people accountable. um, But... In the larger context of XR, we are trying to focus more so on on the systems and and the problems with the systems themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So a change of government would be be quite important at this point. But as well, it's hard to see exactly if just a change of government would be a solution because we need to then hold all these other stakeholders accountable um, for their role, the role that they've been playing um, in in the larger climate crisis.
2: Yeah, one of the things I like in XR, um, in Britain, the YouTubes I've watched and what I've heard here at various groups I've been to, they want to get more voices into the decision-making process. One example, everyone knows now about the retired fire chiefs who wanted to brief the Prime Minister in April, but he wouldn't listen to them. And one of them called Greg Mullins was on our radio show and he was also on the Mm. ABC. And everyone thinks, well, why didn't they consult these people who had this huge expertise? These are not sort of, you know, left field people. These are mainstream fire chiefs. And I wanted to know, how do you want to get more participatory sort of democracy, so more voices, more expert opinion, more uh, representative voices are heard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually two very important points. One of them is, of
3: course, um, this
2: frustration that we
3: have about how experts are being ignored, and then as well this point about uh, participatory democracy, which is something that XR holds very dear, um, and how a way that we do this is in uh, arranging people's assemblies, um, which are, are meetings for open meetings for people to come and discuss issues and make the decisions collectively. So we really try to encourage as many voices as possible people from different backgrounds, different fields, Different age groups, um, everyone uh, to come on and, and help us reach a consensus in a very decentralized and non hierarchical way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, we do try to encourage as many people to come in and join these uh, processes of decision making um, to generate ideas, um, you know, especially for this upcoming year.
2: Good. All right, thank you. We've been talking to Elise Papineau uh, from Extinction Rebellion in Brisbane. Okay. Jamie Hanson from Greenpeace is the Head of Campaigns for Australia and the Pacific. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Look, the federal government has announced a $2 billion fund for bushfire recovery to support, I read yesterday in the paper, local tourism, industry, council projects and mental health services. Like, what's your response to that?
4: I mean, it's great, but it's a drop in the ocean. Uh, We've seen just the scale of the damage is monumental, and a lot of that damage is is of a type that can't be repaired, like the hundreds of millions of animals who've died um, and just the the devastation to the landscape. Um, And just in terms of the physical cost, it's very implausible that the damage will cost as little as $2 billion. Um, We think it's a drop in the ocean. Um, Our our strongest feeling on this, though, is that the community shouldn't be the ones paying for the repair bill. It should be the companies um, and people who've profited from creating the climate crisis. Uh, you know, big coal companies, the big oil companies, they're, they're the people who made um, this crisis and they're the people who should pay for fixing it.
2: Yeah. Well, you've said that $2 billion is a drop in the ocean compared to the costs of repairing the damage. I know the Brisbane floods, I think, a few years ago cost $11 billion. So that was just, you know, just in Brisbane. It wasn't the whole length and breadth of the eastern coast. And Lock the Gate Alliance said the top five coal companies alone made $54 billion profit over the last five years with zero company tax to Australia. And I wonder, what should the coal, oil and gas companies really be paying, according to you?
4: Well, the coal, oil and gas companies should be paying every cent um, for the repair. Um, And they should be doing everything they can, actually, to just shut down their businesses. Like, we're, we're, we're beyond the age of coal. Coal is um, an antiquated technology and we have everything we need now to replace it. Um, You know, you you folks are more aware of that than anybody else. Um, uh, We've got solar, we've got wind, we've got batteries, we've got pumped hydro, um, and we know how to to transition to 100% renewable energy and we should do that rapidly. And these guys should be leading the charge.
2: Yeah, well, but they're not, and the media, their friends in the media, are certainly not putting the spotlight on them, and I've noticed a lot of anger being expressed in the media really directed at greenies, and they keep talking about backburning as if that was the main issue, and I'd like to know what do you say to journalists who protect the big polluters who are trashing our climate, and, you know, this includes... Floods in Indonesia, um, sinking islands in the Pacific. You know, what do you say to them? Because it's they who are leading the narrative that it's um, a different way of looking at it. That these uh, fossil fuels have a long life ahead.
4: Uh, it, it's utterly preposterous to say greenies are the problem here. I mean, we're we're not in government. We never have been, um, and um, you know, like they're they're just ducking the real problem, which everybody knows. Um, is climate change. You know, like, sure, the fires um, have many causes, but they wouldn't be anything like as bad as they are if it wasn't for climate change. Um, It's made the uh, environment dry. we have got high heat. um, And you've got a shortened window during which backburning can be done safely, um, which has been one of the critical problems here. Um, And you're right. I mean, the kind of problems of false equivalence and giving people... Um, a platform who say just ridiculous things like Craig Kelly did um, yesterday um, is, is a key part of the problem here. We've got a media that are less interested in telling the truth are more interested in just driving pointless and divisive debates.
2: Yeah, well, look, Greenpeace is very knowledgeable and you, I know, have... It's an international organisation so you have lots of people informing you about what's really happening. Why... Do you find it hard to get the media to listen to you or to tell the story as you want to tell it? In such plain terms, what you've just said here on air at Radio Skid Row, I do not think would here be heard anywhere on other Australian radio shows.
4: Uh, that's true. That's true. Of course, um, we are very grateful for uh, for your for your interest. But yeah, I mean, definitely, we we have to sculpt messages that we think fit in with the existing narratives, and that's really depressing sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we do our best. Like, our job is to try to work out how best to get the message out in a way that appeals to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, do the best that we can at that, and sometimes we do well and sometimes we do poorly. But um, if we could, if I could fix one thing in Australia, it would be the media. You know, yeah. like, we've got the media running campaigns against climate action, and they have been for decades. Um, and that's one of the critical reasons that we're in the terrible mess we're in
2: now yes and they shape people's minds because like a lot there's a lot of anger now and i was just so impressed during the bushfires or they're still going on this weekend's going to be catastrophic too but you know the the human community spirit that i've seen just the the, the stories i've heard and in my family that i've heard just makes me feel why are they not telling or they are telling that story but then they don't sort of um they they don't embrace it they then divide the community straight away into blaming someone you know really we we need to stay unified the emotion that has been generated by this a lot of people have been very terrified and a lot of people are going to be paying huge costs you know from now on um why why don't we tap into that and and build on it rather than dividing the community
4: yeah we're in this really interesting moment right now i think where a lot of people who haven't really engaged with climate change um at an emotional level before, are having to. Like, our cities are cloaked in smoke. Most people know people who have been harmed by the fires in some way. And most people have an attachment to the natural world and, and they're seeing all of that harm happening. Oh, yeah. And largely people understand that that's linked to climate change. And so there's an opportunity now to to seize this moment and actually shift the debate. Um, yeah, the, the media will continue seeking to divide people because that gets clicks. Um, but if we can shift the middle, um, shift, shift and, and permanently change the way a lot of these people think about climate change, like the level of priority they should give it, um, maybe maybe we do have a chance of shifting the political centre in Australia. And that's, that's what we're hoping. Um, we know that people are really angry right now and they should be. Um, but we're hoping that we can also use this as a moment to show generosity um, to the people who've maybe not given this issue the priority that they should have. Um, and kind of welcome them um, into the fold um, of kind of, you know, making Australia a better, cleaner, healthier country.
2: Fantastic. I do agree with you myself. Look, if these fires are a turning point for the government, as you've said in your press release, uh, I want to know what do you think new, policy, what, what new policies would look like that uh, would stop increasing climate instability? um the first thing that needs to
4: happen um is we need to accelerate the closure of coal-fired power stations in australia Coal's the biggest contributor to climate change um globally and and in australia by you know an order of magnitude um that needs to be the first step and that can happen very quickly um easily inside a decade um then we need to get working on the other uh, major sources of climate pollution um electrification of transport will be critical and there's a lot the government can do quite quickly in that space. Um, and then the, the the huge opportunity for healing for our landscape. Um, we can start working on landscape restoration um, and improving farming practices. And, you know, it will be a better world. It'll be um, a world in which all of the things that we have now will be available to us, but we will no longer be damaging the environment. Um, we'll have stronger communities. There's absolutely no reason not to be getting... Um, getting on the job right now
2: fantastic thank you Jamie so we've been talking to Jamie Hanson from Greenpeace he's the head of campaigns for Australia and the Pacific and I hope we can come back to you another day Jamie to talk more about the Pacific Welcome back to the Beyond Zero Emissions show from Radio 3CR and Radio Skid Row in Sydney. And we're still following the money. We're talking about bushfires and our response, but there's a lot of money involved. And we have Mark Og here on the line. He's the principal advisor at the Australia Institute, which is a public policy think tank and he's one of the founders of Beyond Zero Emissions and a staunch friend of our radio efforts. This is what I love about what Beyond Zero Emissions has done all these years and now the Australia Institute. You have these reports ready to go as soon as the public mind is focused on something, and you've put out this report called the National Climate Disaster Fund, which is just what we want, I think, and I don't think Scott Morrison will have heard of it yet, but I hope he does. And um, could you tell us um, a little bit about that, how you keen to
0: write that yeah so it really struck us that the uh, huge increase in uh, costs of natural disasters that Australia's already experiencing and is projected to um, experience even uh, even more as time goes by are something that um, that it's just going to be unsustainable for you know um, governments and ordinary people in Australia to keep paying and uh, we need an alternative source to, to um, fund these impacts. And the, and uh, you know, the logical way to do it is to um, shift the burden from ordinary Australian households and businesses onto the, you know, mostly huge global companies who are causing the problem in the first place by um, extracting fossil fuel in Australia. So, so we worked out that if uh, if we put a small levy, about one dollar a ton. Uh, per ton of embodied carbon on all the uh, coal and gas produced in Australia, we could raise one and a half billion dollars a year, which would be uh, which would be very helpful in uh, paying some of the cost of uh, natural disasters like fires that we're experiencing at the moment.
2: Well, I can see one obstacle there though that the public mind, including the mind that is created by journalists and media, isn 't really ready for that. I think most people think that the fossil fuel companies are a sort of benefit, a net economic benefit to Australia, but you've found lots of information to disprove that. Tell us about that.
5: Yeah,
0: um, so look, the fossil fuel companies uh, make a lot of money, but the beneficiaries are mostly the fossil fuel companies themselves, because very little of, that, um, of those benefits are passed on to the rest of the Australian community and economy. So, for instance, in terms of employment, the coal and gas industry are the most capital-intensive industries in Australia, and that means that uh, they're not very labour-intensive. So they, they they use a lot of machinery and get the coal and gas out of the ground without needing very many people. And so they're actually very small employers compared to pretty much every other industry uh, in Australia. On top of that, they pay virtually no corporate tax They use kind of profit shifting and various creative accounting measures to to avoid their tax liability. And so it's very little of of the benefits of this one-off exploitation of um, fossil fuels from Australia being passed on to the rest of the economy. And on top of that, you have what's called the resource curse, which is recognised by economists everywhere that these industries basically crowd out other industries in Australia. So. Uh, this, there's, a few, there's some benefits, but there's some real downsides as well.
2: Well, one of the things I can think is being crowded out is people who need water. And just as the rivers are drying out, and some of these towns are having to have water just trucked in, you know, yeah. co- new coal mines are being set up and giving huge water permits. We're also subsidising these fossil fuel companies. So I, I think we only do it because we're ignorant of of the externalities.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the whole point of this of this fund that the we're essentially subsidising these com- companies by paying for ex- externalities, mm-hmm. whether it's the use of water or or creating more climate change. And um, it's a really fundamental principle of economics that the that the companies that cause harm through their economic activities and profit from um, from those activities need to pay for the the costs of those impacts. Mm-hmm. And I might say too, what we're suggesting here, a one dollar a ton. Um, Levy on carbon from the extraction is tiny compared to the yeah. actual harm that that carbon that carbon produces. There's estimates that the economic harm as a result of from every ton of carbon heat trapping gases pumped up into the atmosphere, the cost is more like four hundred dollars a ton. So, so what we're asking for is pretty modest.
2: It is modest, and therefore I think it it won't work because, you know. If if that's the cost, that's what they should pay. We've just had the person from Greenpeace saying they should pay the whole bill for the bushfire restoration, which will be in the, much more than the two billion fund that you know has been announced. And they're just saying they should pay the whole lot because the taxpayer should not be forced to pay the, these costs, costs. So why do, why did you say one dollar a tonne and not four hundred?
0: Well, what we've actually proposed is that you. You introduce it and then you and then it's put into a national climate disaster fund and then that's reevaluated annually to with an eye to the um, expenses we're getting from you know they're increasing frequency and intensity. So yeah, I think it's completely valid for other organisations to come out and say that in fact we need a um, you know it should be it, it should be larger because the because yeah the impact of these activities is is
2: much bigger than a dollar a ton. And also there's a lot of valuable information in your report and I'd like to tell listeners to look up the Australia Institute National Climate Disaster Fund because Mark has assembled a lot of information about, for example, previous disasters, you know, just the net cost, like $11 billion for Queensland floods. Oh, I could, it takes my breath away just to think of one flood costing $11 billion in one, one area and we've got these now bushfires, the length and breadth of the East Coast... Like It's just on a scale I don't think any of us can understand and it's ongoing for the next, the rest of the fire season. So the cost here is going to be massive and we need to have a whole new, a new think about this, like recalibrate things. And I'm wondering if economic levers like a, a levy on exported coal and gas are just too slow for the kind of climate emergency that we're in.
0: This, so this, this policy that we're proposing is by no means instead of, Doing a whole lot of other things, like you know, we agree that we need to do exactly what Beyond Zero Emissions proposes, which is a rapidly decarbonise the economy across all sectors, probably in 10 years, because that's how serious the situation is. What we're proposing is that, in addition to doing those kinds of things, we already we also need to pay for the for the damage that's already locked in by these by the activities of these companies, and that. Um, taxpayers and ordinary Australian te- households businesses shouldn't be lumped with that, that cost. But it's by no means a, an either-or or thing. It's a, it's a both thing.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, look, I think we've got a few more minutes. Have we got a few more minutes, Raul? Uh, so I just want to ask you one other question because I know you did a lot of work on Northern Territory gas and when they had a moratorium on it and you spoke up in a public meeting in Melbourne, I saw you spat hand up. It was a real Jacques moment where you said, you know... Why did you lift the moratorium on the gas that was safely underground? But on this radio show, we try to draw attention to people whose voices are not often heard, and everyone knows that Canberra people sweltered just this week on 44 degrees, I think, temperatures. But your report shows that Aboriginal communities will be cooking with uh, last year, I think you said, 69 days over 40 degrees in Central Australia. And you wrote that report, Cooking with Gas, and I was very impressed by that and just the thought of places like the Beetlew Basin just becoming unlivable. Um, How could the National Climate Disaster Fund help People like that, communities like that, and council areas that are now experiencing the bushfires right now.
0: Well, absolutely, I think this is uh, this is enormously important because um, Aboriginal communities are going to be disproportionately uh, impacted by these changes because the temp- because it's already hot in, in many of the areas that you have these um, remote communities, and um, and so when it gets hotter, it very quickly becomes a serious issue for people's health and quality of life so we need to make sure that these communities have uh, absolutely as good as possible housing and um, temperature control you know air conditioning so that they can get out of the heat and i think in some situations uh, depending on how quickly temperatures rise we might have to look at relocating people potentially, certainly looking after their rights to that land, but also making other areas available for them to live where they can, you know, it's not so hot because it's just really unfair that our activities of um, fracking vast areas and mining coal and and, uh, allowing heat-trapping gases to be pumped into the atmosphere is making areas that they're living, you know, much more sort of dangerous and um
2: and difficult to live in yeah yeah, and and uh, when we talk about climate disasters, we always forget heat waves, but I remember yeah. the Melbourne bushfires there were more people who died in that heat wave than in the, the two thousand and nine bushfires and um I don't know we we're, we're going to experience this catastrophic weather now on a regular basis until we start bringing those emissions down rapidly and um you know I think what your work there thinking it through how what are the economic ways of doing it, how can we finance it is much better than sort of impotent rage and just people going out with placards saying do something here's you're something practical
0: yeah and I think we've really got to you know one thing about what we're doing that's re, that I think is really important is that it focuses people attention people's attention on the cause of the problem yep. so we really need people to um, be really focused on the fact that every time a tonne of gas or coal is mined in Australia and here or overseas, that's adding a t- two and a half tonnes or thereabouts of heat-trapping gas to the atmosphere. And these companies are responsible for the for the damage we're experiencing now. So supporting the National Climate Disaster Fund is reinforcing that message, and I think that's a, that's crucial to the We need to be reinforcing that message all the time um when we're discussing the these crises like the bushfires
2: right thank you so mark og uh, has written this report for the Australia institute and before we let you go mark would you just uh, do you, would you like to tell me what's your personal response like to this do you uh, to this bushfire catastrophe we've been having
0: yeah i mean i've got i've got uh, friends who are in uh, who are in those areas nobody i know has actually lost their House at the moment, which is a which is a huge relief. But certainly, I live in regional Victoria myself. I'm in Clunes, which is north of Ballarat, and uh, we were all evacuated um, a few weeks ago when we had a a really hot day and a, and a fire close by. You know, I find it really disturbing, and I just uh, I just really feel for people um, in those areas, and I just think it's incredibly tragic what's happening to our natural environment, to our beautiful forest, and. Mm. And wildlife and, uh, you know, I, I just I just find that really distressing mm. and I think that it's just really important to focus on on being engaged in this national debate and, and in activism and in, in ways to uh, combat it and it's important not just that we all do it so that we can solve the problem but it's really um, empowering the people uh, because because sitting around worrying about it is much less healthy than actually getting getting out there and pushing for change.
2: Fantastic. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate your report and coming to to speak to our listeners today. You'll reach quite a lot of our audience. So thank you very much. That was Mark Oag from the Australia Institute. We're going to have a little bit of music.
5: Rustling brook and a new Edward book to the salty sea, and to each moment. milestone to my weary
2: So I'd like to um, you know, just say to you, it is healthy to get active and, and go out and join with other people and don't just suffer alone thinking, oh, what can be done? There's plenty that can be done. I'd like to thank our guests tonight, Elise Papineau from Extinction Rebellion in Brisbane, Jamie Hansen from Greenpeace in Sydney, Mark Ogue from the Australia Institute, um, and they're in Canberra. And uh, thank you also to Raul and to Chris for paneling for this program, and to uh, Radio Skidrow for hosting it. Now, I thought just on this theme, there's another a short short to item that I did in November and this was also a catastrophic fire day and I went down to the New South Wales Parliament and the people there were farmers and landholders who'd just come down to persuade the government not to go ahead with a certain legislation. New South Wales was declared in catastrophic fire danger. This is Vivian Langford reporting for Beyond Zero Emissions at Radio Three CR in Melbourne and Radio Skid Row in Sydney. I went to a snap rally outside the New South Wales Parliament where hundreds had gathered. An amendment to the environment and planning laws was to be debated that day, so that climate change would no longer be a consideration. Now, we've had two historic legal decisions here at Rocky Hill and Bylong Valley, where coal mines have been rejected, partly because of the climate impact of the coal they would export. Now, the New South Wales government wants to remove that obstacle so new coal and gas projects can go ahead in this state. David Shoebridge is a New South Wales uh, MP in our parliament.
1: It's a very dangerous law. Uh, currently, there's a state planning policy that requires a court to take into account the emissions from coal, and um, that's been a, that's been an important factor in the refusal of a couple of coal mines. Very rare refusal of a couple of coal mines in New South Wales. And the coal industry is very angry that the planning system has actually opposed a coal mine and actually refused a coal mine. They, of course, are extremely well connected with the Berejiklian government. Not only do they fund them, but they provide many of their staff and MPs with post-political careers. Um, And so they've put pressure on the government to remove that requirement from the state planning policy. What that will mean is less rigorous review on climate change. That'll mean more coal mines being approved at exactly the time when I think society, in in New South Wales at least, has realised that we are in a climate crisis and we need to take drastic action. Do
2: you think the present fires will uh, change the the mood in the Parliament? I mean, is there more pressure on them to not make that amendment?
1: Well, I think it'll change, it's undoubtedly changed the mood in the streets. We're yet to see what the mood in the Parliament will be. My sense of the matter is that many of those politicians are so rusted onto the fossil fuel and coal industry... That they're going to pretend nothing has changed. They're going to pretend it's business as usual. Well, I mean, our job as Greens MPs, our job as as climate activists, is to make sure that it's not business as usual. And if they make those dangerous political decisions, we hold them to account, we make them increasingly illegitimate, and we throw them out of office.
2: Today, country people and even the suburbs of Sydney are in catastrophic danger. 600 schools have been closed. 30 extra ambulance crews are on duty and a million hectares have been burned out already. The Deputy Prime Minister said that bringing up climate change during a fire disaster is disgraceful and that we don't need the, ravings of some pure enlightened and woke capital city greenies at this time. The Member for Melbourne said that Morrison and McCormack have done everything in their power to make catastrophic bushfires more likely. And I suppose he's referring to their promotion of coal and gas. Now, the media have made a meal of this, arguing to and fro. And late at night, I've heard horrible commentaries as if this was the main game. But now we'll hear from the real country people who've come all the way down to Sydney to stand shoulder to shoulder with us inner city raving lunatics and to show that now is the very best time to make a plan to prevent worse climate change. We don't need to talk about it anymore. We need to plan how we're going to manage it. We hear from Simon Clough, who's president of Lock the Gate Alliance, and then we hear from a young couple, Aaron and Fiona, whose house tragically burnt down on the Friday before this meeting. Despite this tragedy, they wanted to talk to us about climate change. Aaron showed us a small barrel that had escaped the flames, and as he emptied the ash and glass onto Macquarie Street, he said, that's my home. This is what the climate and ecological emergency looks like. Right there.
6: That's what people are facing today.
2: Now, here are the speakers on the catastrophic fire day. The head of the Rural Fire Service says the the catastrophe
7: unfolding across New South Wales today is unprecedented. Unprecedented means this has never happened before. This is new. The climate has changed. On Friday and Saturday last week, there were 17 fires at emergency level simultaneously Hundreds of kilometers apart and dozens more are still burning out of control in 15 or more local government areas across this state and Queensland. The fires have killed three people and injured many more. They have left people homeless and killed wildlife and raised hundreds of thousands of hectares of irreplaceable forests, including World Heritage Rainforest, that has not seen fire for centuries. We are here this morning to stand with those across the country affected by bushfire. Please donate in the buckets and in the Facebook page for this event today, there are online links to donate. And we are also here today because while people are retreating from the fires caused by climate change, this New South Wales Parliament will be debating a bill that will remove the requirement planning authorities to consider the impacts of climate change in new coal mines and gas fields and they are doing this in direct response from pressure of the mining lobby we are here because instead of acting to prevent this cataclysm our government is voting today to ignore the contribution New South Wales coal mines make to climate change. And we are here today because emergency services deserve more support in fighting this unfolding crisis. The emergency services themselves have told our government they lack the resources to deal with extreme weather being brought on by climate change. But the government is not listening. And to those who say it is too soon to talk about climate change, I say, and my parents say, it is too late. It is not soon enough to be talking about climate change. To anyone who says climate change is an inner city issue, I want to let you know that my local council area, the Mid Coast Council, and the council area of cleanliness that was also ravaged by fire on the weekend both passed climate emergency declarations in the last few weeks Climate change is an issue that people in the country care about and are living with today
5: yeah.
7: It's my privilege to introduce Simon Clough Simon was the Deputy Mayor of Lismore City Council He's also a landowner in the Northern Rivers who was recently affected by the fires on the weekend. Please join me in welcoming Simon Clough.
8: I too would like to uh, thank the uh, Eora Nation uh, and acknowledge that we've never ceded land to to them. uh, They've never ceded it to us. Um, And I'd like to also talk a a little about uh, Bundjalung country, where I'm from. I've, uh, I'm a country person, uh, the leader of the National Party might be interested in that, but I stand shoulder to shoulder with you loony lefties or whatever, because climate change is real and we are experiencing it at this moment. As I speak, there's a, a fire on the ridge about five kilometres from our property, uh, fortunately some other people are there, mainly the fireies because our valley and the valley beside it have all been evacuated. This is the the Channon area of northern New South Wales, rainforest country. It is as dry as you can imagine. And the fires, uh, we have no idea what's going to happen next. And just for a moment, think of the 600 schools that have been closed today because of the catastrophic, catastrophic situation. 600 schools. Two months ago, these people behind me would with tweeting and squeaking about students going on strike for climate yeah this is not without irony and i think it's time that we called out what is really going on here now for a moment just think about the revolving door between the minerals council uh, and the senior positions of political advisors within the government here and certainly within the government in canberra we have their donations now, and those donations are fueling the climate catastrophe that we have here. They are not revealed. We need a a national ICAC and it's corruption that's destroying people's lives and it's destroying our natural biodiversity. In our area, over 100 koalas have died in fires because it's not just koalas, it's the birds, it's the reptiles, it's the mammals, It's the whole biodiversity of our areas. And already, there's been twice as much country burnt out in uh, New South Wales as there has been in the whole Black Saturday fires of Victoria. So we are facing an extraordinary extraordinary crisis. And it's shame on government that has not prepared for us. It's shameful. What I would like to see is this day and this horrendous situation become something of a Port Arthur. For, uh, our country, where people will say with one voice, enough is enough.
5: Enough is enough.
8: And I hope that that will encourage uh, our leaders to actually develop plans which are going to lead us through this. We're going to actually see some leadership. You know, we're going to see and taking a constructive role. We're going to see the coal fondler who's in camera there uh, actually taking some action to look at how they can protect the, the humans of our, our nation. But also it's extraordinary biodiversity because, as I say, we've just got to do it and do it now. It's already probably way too late and enough is enough.
7: Your state MP, and you can ask that the government withdraw the environmental planning and assessment amendment. You can call on them to boost funding for the RFS, the National Parks and Wildlife Service, Forestry Corporation, and Fire and Rescue New South Wales to make more emergency funding available now. And you can call your MP and ask them to get New South Wales on a path to net zero emissions and urgently adapt to the impacts of climate change.
6: Right there. That's what people are facing today.
7: These guys tragically lost their home on Friday night. Um, and they've just made the effort to drive down uh, from the coast this morning um, to come and speak to us today. So please welcome um, Aaron and Fee.
6: But as, as we left uh, and we sat there in safety, I realised that my parents, my mother is here today, um, were unaware of the danger People up there were using the, the rural fire service apps. Um, they were relying on uh, notifications from the fire service. These weren't getting through the mobile towers up there. I heard they have three hours of backup power after the power goes down. People are waiting in fire fronts thinking that everything is okay right now and fires are coming towards them. I hear Gladys Jilkian talking about that uh, we are well prepared I have friends now that are at risk, and they're relying on a system that is flawed. People should know this. I I have the biggest respect for the local fire brigade, for uh, for Daniel, for uh, for Andy, for Damien. These people who risked their life for Lucas to save my parents' house and to rescue so many people on Friday night. Um, and it's not about that. It's about that we're not prepared for the, the climate catastrophe that's approaching. We have our politicians talking about hopes and dreams and they're talking, about, they're talking about heroes, they're talking about miracles, you know, thoughts and prayers. This is the stuff that I read to my three-year-old daughter. This is not reliable, this is not sensible uh, um, policy. You know, we, there's people now, today, their lives are at risk and we're talking about thoughts and prayers. This is not good enough. We need to. I brought with me today. Um, I don't know, this is a bit funny. But in this bucket is my house. Um, this is our old compost bucket, actually. It's really weird stuff that survives and stuff that doesn't. I saw um, a glass that was. Melted twelve. We had twelve mil thick glass windows, and it's pools on the ground. I saw um, logs that were this round. Three hours after the fire front went through, were just piles of white ash. They're gone. Um, This bucket survived for some reason, but I don't think people know about what it's like up there. People are staying on these properties and uh, and thinking they can fight it. They're talking about heroes on the news. And uh, they're thinking with their garden hose they're going to save themselves. Their family are realising that they're going to die and they're driving unprepared into fire fronts to save these people. The media is talking about heroes. We need to talk about realistic things. It's the time for hopes and dreams and miracles and heroes. This is not about unicorns and fairies, man. This is about people's lives. It's only going to get worse. We have... They want to wind back... Uh, climate po- like climate policy now, when people are dying from climate change, the scientists. You think this is a this is a um, a coincidence? The scientists are telling them this is going to happen. the the uh, The fire the fire chiefs want to meet with our prime minister and telling him this is going to happen and it happens and they say don't talk about climate change. It's not good enough. Yeah. The time is definitely right for
7: talking about climate change. For me, there has never been a better time to talk about climate change. (laughs) When we expect the government to be looking forward to take action on the climate and ecological emergency we're in, we need to start addressing the causes of climate change and not make it easier for coal and gas companies to pollute. This is what the climate and ecological emergency looks like. Right there.
6: That's what people are facing today. I know know it's not pretty, but that's the truth.
7: Stand together by donating directly to the Rural Fire Service and doing the best in our communities. People band together to pick up the pieces. And we are here today to band together, to call on the government to stop ignoring climate change and to stop allowing worsening bushfire conditions We will not let them get away with inaction at anyone's expense. I am asking you today, please call your local member and ask them to oppose the environmental planning and assessment amendment. Importantly, ask them to keep the consideration of climate impacts in our planning system. This is what the climate and ecological emergency
2: looks like. Right there.
6: That's what people are facing today.
2: Thank you for listening to this news item from Sydney Parliament House. My name is Vivian Langford at Radio 3CR and also from Radio Skid Row in Sydney. Our main show is the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show, 5pm on Mondays at 3CR. Good night and good luck.
6: We're at the school Kids Strike for Climate Action with some of the people who are on strike today. Can you tell us your names and how old you are?
3: Oh, so my name's Ivy and I'm 12 years old. My name is Marta and I'm 8
7: years old. My name's Layla and I'm 11 years old. Inequality is at a 70 year high. Our jobs are going offshore, our jobs are being casualised. 40% of us are trapped in insecure work. The richest 1% have
3: more than the 70% of us at the bottom.
0: And workers will stand up and fight. You've never seen a fight before until you back the Australian workers into a corner and
6: tell them they've got no rights. Those workers will fight.
8: 3CR Union Issues and Workers' Struggles. Feed Radical Radio go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.